I'd like to take a moment now to tell you about my favorite co-parenting app, Fair. There are other apps out there, but Fair is the only one that I recommend to my clients. We know that divorce is never easy, and when children are in the picture, it can be really tricky, especially when you're trying to communicate with your ex, and that's a challenge. Now there's an app with you and your kids in mind. It's called Fair, F-A-Y-R. Fair is the easiest, most intuitive, and conflict-diffusing co-parenting app on the market. It helps to eliminate misunderstandings while also improving communication between co-parents. Here's what the Fair app can do. It has a time-sharing calendar, documentable text messaging, an expense tracker, a GPS check-in, and by the way, no one else has that, a monthly parenting report, a private journal, a file vault, and importantly, you can export all of the records into a convenient and time and date stamped PDF when you need it for your attorney or for court, and there's a Spanish version of the app as well. So subscribe at BeFair.com, that's B-E-F-A-Y-R.com, and then download FAIR from the App Store or Google Play. You can go to FAIR.com for more details and use the discount code SUSANG18 to receive 20% off. Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. And when I got trained right out of grad school in divorce work and collaborative divorce work, it just didn't make sense to me that they weren't taking children's perspectives into the divorce process. For me, you talk about bringing children's voice in as sort of mind-blowing for the attorneys. For me, it was mind-blowing that they were making decisions about children's childhoods without having really any idea how the children were experiencing the process. Hello, and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce, and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process, so listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and today we are joined by one of my friends and colleagues from the West Coast, and Kathleen is joining us today for a really important topic at an important time. So let me first tell you a little bit about Kathleen Zampano, who is joining us today. Kathleen is a child development specialist. She's also a therapist, a family mediator, and a divorce coach. And she's been working with families in transition, as we like to call this, in a child-focused way for more than 15 years. Uh, Right now, Kathleen is actually, she just came and spoke to um, the Mostyn Guthrie 40-hour training. And one of the topics that she was talking about was bringing the voice of children into the divorce process. And I can tell you all, and I I can hear your heads out there listeners exploding, especially my divorce professionals, when you hear that idea of bringing children's voices or bringing children into the divorce process. But Kathleen has 
an innovative, safe, and, and truly like important way that children can be heard. And so I'm thrilled that she's joining us here today. So Kathleen, first, let me just say thank you for what you're doing and for joining us to talk about this today. Yes. Thank you for the opportunity. I mean, this is a topic near and dear to my heart. And so I'm so glad to have a wider audience to speak about it. Yeah, this is something that, you know, is verboten in the land of family law. This idea of children being put in that position of being asked about what they want or what, you know, which parent do you want to live with? I mean, that's, I think, the image that we all get in our heads. And you and I were just talking before we got started taping because the topic has really been in the news lately with the Angelina Jolie, Brad Pitt, never ending custody battle and issues that they've been having because Angelina wants her children to speak directly with the judge in that case. And so this idea of children being involved and speaking in the divorce proceeding is not new, but it's definitely of the moment. And you've been doing this actually, bringing children's voices into the divorce process for years now and doing it in a safe way and in a helpful way. So, you know, let's just start there. How did you even get interested in this topic of bringing children's voices is into the process when it's it's so verboten. Yeah, you know, my original educational background was as a I had a child development degree and a degree in psych, and I was a marriage and family therapist specializing in kids and families. So all of my work was with the family as a whole, and really was helping parents hear their children's perspectives of what they were experiencing or how they were experiencing life. And when I got trained right out of grad school in divorce work and collaborative divorce work, it just didn't make sense to me that they weren't taking children's perspectives into the divorce process. For me, you talk about bringing children's voice in as sort of mind-blowing for the attorneys. For me, it was mind-blowing that they were making decisions about children's childhoods without having really any idea how the children were experiencing the process. So for me, I kind of hit the ground running and said, well, this is the only way to do this. And I had just been working with families as a whole. And so I said, okay, what protocols are out there? How can we do this in a more contentious situation versus when parents are coming for therapy and they're like, what's going on with our kid? Please tell us, help us. We want to know. And so I just started overlapping the philosophies from, you know, child and family therapy, and then researching what Australia was doing and, you know, Canada was doing and what they were doing, you know, Joan Kelly out of California was doing in terms of interviewing children as a parenting coordinator. And I just started putting together sort of my own way of doing this. Yeah. And now, I mean, it's something that you are brought into cases specifically to help with this particular area. I know you have particular expertise in high conflict and you know resist and refuse what some people might call alienation cases but you're brought in into all layers of cases all kinds of family law and divorce and parental separations whether the parents are married or not the um cases in order to give the children a voice yeah really the whole continuum i have a lot of families who don't have attorneys but they found out about my work from their friends and they thought well 
we want a really amicable divorce and we want it to be really good for our kids. So let's go consult with Kathleen about what that might look like. How do we talk to them? How do we do the transition correctly? How do we check in to make sure that it's working? So I definitely have the gamut from really amicable, right? Child-centered families from the get-go, you know, all the way up to the resist, refuse children, you know, refusing time or parents really in high conflict. And it works for all of them. My philosophy is every child, every case. Like I really think that children should have one opportunity at minimum to talk to someone that can hear them and translate their experiences to their parents who are the ones that can make change for them. That's a great analogy right there. So you're like the translator for kids, right? I know that you've built in sort of protective layers to keep the kids from being put in the middle of their parents, right? Because that is the nightmare, I think, for everyone. It's what makes my stomach clench. Just that idea that children having to feel they are having to make a choice between their parents or something like that. So talk to us a little bit about how you protect children from being put in that position. I have parents and their attorneys, if they have attorneys involved, sign a safe harbor agreement, which is a contractual obligation for all the parties that they will not question the children about what they talk about in their session with me and that I will not be sharing anything from my sessions without the child's permission, anything. That's big, right? That's so, so you're creating, I I love that term safe Harbor because that's what you're creating for the kids, right? They know this when they speak to you, that they, what they say is sort of, in a a sacred vessel with you and you will not let that out there. But I think it's really important what you just said as well, that parents become obligated not to ask their kids what went on or ask them about any information they may be entire, be able to receive because the child allowed it. I think that's so critical because Many parents who might hear something they don't like may want to go no more from directly from the source, right? Yes, absolutely. And what I really wanted was an opportunity to make sure that the children could talk freely and that we could move the family system forward. And if children were not going to be safe in what they said, they weren't going to come back and they weren't going to trust the adults that were there to help them in this process, which as my background as a therapist was really important to me. I wanted to maintain that rapport and connection and safety place for them that I was able to provide as a therapist, even though I'd shifted gears and was really advocating, you know, or helping parents understand. So that was the first piece for me. And the other one was how do we share information in a way that's going to minimize parents wanting to ask those questions of their kids, but I can't control that. So I just kind of put it in there as the expectation that they weren't going to. Have you ever had a parent breach that? I had one parent breach it. And so we sort of called, you know, a meeting with the attorneys and myself and right, sat down and really understood kind of where their fear was underneath that. Right. And then worked through that. But there is an additional sort of safety layer I have on that in terms of how I give feedback. So I do some assessment of parents in terms of their ability to hear feedback and sort of sit with that, as well as when I give information to parents that runs a a continuum as well. It's not that I go and give direct quotes from the children. So there's some assessment in there of, are parents ready to hear feedback? 
and sort of what level of specificity am I going to give to really minimize the likelihood that that's going to get breached as well? That's a key factor as well. I think what people need to see there is that it's not just you and your training and skill translating what the children are saying, but you're also sharing it with their parents if the parents are open and it's accessible to them or sharing it in a way that they can access it. Because I would imagine sometimes there's unpalatable information that you hear from, you know, from a parent's perspective that you hear from children, you know, the children having been a stepmother. So I, I have some experience of children in that fashion, but also 30 years plus in the divorce industry. I know that kids will often say what they think that parent wants to hear and then say the complete opposite thing to the other parent. They get caught in that trying to please everybody, but when they're safe with you, they probably are able to say what they really think. Yeah. And there are additional things I do to, to maneuver through that as well. So for example, I alternate which parent brings them because the influence of the parent, you know, bringing them when we were doing, you know, in-person sessions and which house they're at, um, when they're doing zoom sessions with me, um, because I see families, you know, from all over the U S it's not just local anymore. There's that. I make sure that I alternate who, you know, is present. I do my best to make sure that they have that safe space. And then it's some about how questions are asked. In essence, I use my mediation training for interest-based, you know, stuff. Kids will come and bring positions. You know, I like this. I don't like that. I want this. I don't want that. And I feel like part of my job is to bring them to interest. Well, talk to me a little bit more about that, right? How long has that been going on? What's the impact on you, right? And help them start identifying their, their interests and their goals in their divorce process. If they kind of have those pieces of information that may not be palatable. Um, and then the other pieces, how can I present that in a way that the parents can hear the interest behind it and make changes as opposed to just hearing that their kid didn't want to go or, you know, was mad or hated their new girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever that might be. There's just these opportunities to tweak and utilize everything in my background to make it the right thing for this family. You've talked a little bit about sharing the information with the parents, but I know there are other ways that your the information that you glean or the insights that you glean into what the children's voices have to say can be shared, say in a mediation or let's, you know, in Angelina and Brad's case, you know, with the judge. What are some of the ways that the, that you would typically or the different ways that this type of information can be used, this process? So one of the ways we, you know, we mentioned was giving feedback directly to parents, right? And that is often if they don't have attorneys involved or they're doing parenting plan mediation with just me and they have consulting attorneys so they're not really involved in the process. The other option is, for example, in collaborative, so that information goes to the entire team so that they all have information when they're navigating their parenting plan if they're not doing that just with me. Sometimes I need an attorney's help for a parent to hear the information. So I will do feedback sessions separately with their attorney and the client so that I've done a prep meeting with the attorney saying, Hey, 
right? Need to share some information. Here's my goal of that. I'd like to do that together so that you can help support your client and understanding, right? What the options are moving forward instead of getting stuck into those things. I've done feedback with parents and their therapist. I was just wondering that one. I'm like, I've got to believe mental health professionals might come in here. Yes. And so I've done it with the family therapist because they're going to continue the work and they may, you know, some families already have a family therapist, so I can bring that in and they can continue that work forward. Sometimes they don't, but I recommend that they do based on what I hear from the kids. Like, Ooh, this is something right. They're going to need some work on and support some support. And since I can't be that for them, I'll get them connected to a really qualified child and family therapist and give feedback in that area so they can continue that work. And then I've also done it with a parent's individual therapist. Right. So that therapist can maybe help that parent work with, you know, some issues that have come out or become apparent in the, in the process. What about in a court courtroom setting? Has this ever come in in a courtroom setting? It has. There's sort of two layers to that. I've done it during the divorce process, sort of not taking the place, but similarly for the attorney colleagues to, you know, the child's attorney. So here in Oregon, we have a best interest attorney and an advocacy attorney, right? Depending on, you know, maturity level and age and that sort of stuff. And so there are certain cases where the the dynamics are more complex and they really want me to meet with the children and interview them and bring that voice either to judge in chambers or to testify on their behalf. So the children don't have to be in the courtroom. And my communications with the kids are really robust. You know, it's, it's a whole gamut of understanding you know, their personality, their temperament, their developmental stage, and their thoughts, wishes, concerns. And so I can speak sort of broadly about, you know, my experience of them and what they've shared. I've also testified when I worked as a parent coordinator, I was, I did child inclusive parent coordination, also not something that's super common, but again, for me, like if I'm helping parents, right, do better as it relates to the best interests of their children, it just didn't make any sense to me that someone wouldn't have eyes on the children. I now no longer do parent coordination, but I will be that child consultant to other parenting coordinators. So, but I've also testified um, in that area. Parents are still fighting. They end up in a courtroom disagreeing with my you know, recommendations, and I can go and bring the child's voice into that and allow it to come in a really safe way so the children don't have to testify. You know, you just mentioned, so in Oregon, you have two types of attorneys for children. You have the best interests and then the advocate, right? And, and in other jurisdictions, it's the attorney for the minor children and the guardian ad litem, which is the, the um, person charged with looking into the best interests of the children. And I'm wondering, how does the the role that you're talking about of being the person who's really the translator uh, of the child's voice vary from either of those roles. How are you doing this differently than say this advocate might be doing it? I think there are definitely some overlaps and similarities. So by no means am I advocating that, you know, we get rid of those because they have really important roles. For me, it's just broader. Oftentimes when I'm working with, you know, guardian ad litem attorneys or advocacy attorneys, they're really honed in on the specifics, A, of what's in front of them because they're trying to sort of provide the report of the things that they know that the judge wants to know about that. And they're missing the 
what can feel like subtleties, but are really important key factors for the family system moving forward. So it's really that family therapy background, that child development background. I'm listening through those lenses, which not all attorneys, I mean, they have training, absolutely, but not the same level of training where I'm listening for, okay, what does this mean related to their, you know, developmental stage of identity or, you know, um, competence versus shame, or how does this play out because their current developmental stage is separation from their parents and attachment to their peers. So it's a lot of being able to listen for those things and then bring them in when I testify. So I can give some perspective and education really to the judges. Regularly, the judges are asking me to slow down because they're trying to take notes on the developmental stage and tell me a little bit more about that and, you know, scenarios of certain things. So it's really I mean, it's education all around. Like my passion is education. So if I can educate one family system or a court system or the system at large, you know, to change the dynamics. So for me, it's just bigger than honing in on what's best for this kid regarding parenting time right now. Such a good point. And I I want to emphasize for my listeners out there, you know, we do as a, as an attorney um, in Connecticut, I was also certified as a GAL, a guardian ad litem and an attorney for the minor children. I did have to take two days of training. Um, If you want to compare those two days of training versus, you know, Kathleen's vast background. Yes, we talked about child development. I believe that was like one of the mornings out of the two days. Maybe it was three days. And I, I learned an awful lot. I mean, honestly, even those two or three days, I can't remember how long it was at this point, but they changed my perspective and layered in additional information. But what most people don't understand about family law attorneys, family law judges, because remember, your family law judges were attorneys and are attorneys, but were attorneys before they became judges. That's a, a necessary part of the process. We aren't given a great deal of training in this background. So it doesn't surprise me at all that you've had judges going, whoa, 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 slow down. Let me ask you some questions and let me get some more information on this. Because this is way over the top of many of our professionals' heads. So being able to bring in an expert with your level of expertise. That's what experts are brought into court for. I don't know if people even understand that. It's not just to give their opinion. It's to educate the trier of fact, the judge. Hello, everybody. It's Susan. And I just want to check in and say a big fat thank you to everybody who has joined us in the Divorce and Beyond members only community. For those of you who are members, you are enjoying things like all the downloadable forms and checklists, the archive of episodes that I've taken all those pesky ads out of, all the private and exclusive episodes that I record just for you every month. And you're taking great advantage of the Ask Susan Anything forum, where members get to ask me any question about their divorce or life beyond, and I'm going to give information based on my 30 plus years as a divorce attorney, mediator, and more. So if you're not a member yet, it's only $10 a month, and you can subscribe on the website. So visit divorceandbeyondpod.com, and I hope to see you in the members-only community soon. Stay tuned for more from Susan and her guest, Kathleen Zampano, who is here to help bring the voices of the children 
into the divorce and separation process. I'm talking about time. So not how much time, but how do they experience the time with a parent, away from a parent. So how are they experiencing when they're with that parent? Are they missing the other parent when they're gone? What's their contact like? Time by themselves. So one of the big things that kids grieve when their parents separate is that time to themselves because there's an intensity from the parents going from being around them every day to at best half the time. If you are enjoying this episode, check out your survival guide to co-parenting with a narcissist or other high conflict person with the co-founder and CEO of High Conflict Institute, Megan Hunter. Any high conflict situation in any setting, the three words we hear are exhaustion, dread, and chaos. And this is how it goes. They say, I'm exhausted from the chaos and I dread ever seeing that person again. We don't say that about most relationships and most people, do we? <laughs> so when you feel that, you know, you probably are dealing with someone with a high conflict personality. And now we return to today's show. You know, I'm curious as we sit here, if you were going into a meeting with the children, whether it be on a Zoom screen, um, as I imagine a lot of yours are, or if you were going to meet with them in person, tell us what that looks like. What's the setup for that? How do you get even get ready? You've mentioned you alternate between the homes or which parents bringing the child, but I would imagine there's a great deal more prep that goes on before you even meet with the kids. There definitely is. You know, I, I tell almost everybody that I never really wanted to grow up. I only wanted to work with kids. So for me, it feels really natural. I, you know, I've been doing this work um, since I was 24. So, you know, it's been, I'm, I'll be 40 this year. So, you know, it's, it's sort of ingrained. I don't think I just grew up doing it. So I'll start there. Second, it's a lot about quick rapport building. So for example, when I saw them in my office, I always came out of my office to the waiting room without shoes on because the first thing it, you know, kids are nervous and they're just not sure what to expect. And they kind of see me as this scary unknown, especially if the conflict is high for parents. And so I come out that way. The other piece is some of the prep work I do with parents ahead of time, you know, making sure that they're not bringing their kid, you know, really early when they're tired or, you know, without a snack. And I try not to have parents bring their kids when they have to miss something important that sets the stage that they're annoyed with me. However, I do ask that at the beginning of session so that I know, because often with my teenagers, they're just annoyed because everything is missing something to have to come on a zoom meeting with me or, you know, come to my And everything is annoying. So everything's annoying. So just, I just lay that out there. Okay. What did you have to miss today to come see me? Where would you rather be? Because that way I'm not, I'm not trying to convince them that this is a great place to be. I'm just meeting them where they're at. And also because there's a lot of questions from the attorneys that I educate on this about coaching from parents. What are, what are the parents coaching the kids? And so that, that rapport work is to make sure that we're doing our connection, but it's also to sort of help them lose track of whatever they might supposed to be saying that if there was coaching done by the parent before, whether it was in the car, when it did in person or, you know, before they get on that zoom call. And so it's really just making sure that we're getting rid of that and sitting and getting settled. And then it's, it's asking, it's laying out, right. This is the safe place or nothing will get shared without your permission. I mean, that perks them up right in that moment, because even if I've told the parents that 
it's not always communicated. So I make sure that the kids know right away about that. If they can read, I show them a copy of the contract with their parents' signatures on it. Powerful. Um, because it can be. Yeah. They've also, you know, some kids have, have lost trust in their parents at this process. They've lost trust in their parents because they're getting divorced. They've lost trust in their parents because they've been put in the middle. And so it's trying to build that family system in a way that's going to be really beneficial for everyone. And then we start talking about everything and anything. I ask questions in a variety of categories that the research tells us that divorced kids have feelings about or experiences about. Um, so I created a worksheet when I did training on this called a child experience worksheet to train other professionals on the kinds of things we should be asking questions about. And I will tell you, there is not a single question on there that says, how much time do you want to spend at parent A's house? And how much time do you want to spend at the other parent's house? That is not on there. That's where the professionals go because that's how lawyers tend to think about children's time, right? They're little timeshares, you know, where we're going to, how are we going to split these kids in half? Um, Yes, that is never a question. So what kinds of questions are on there? I'm curious. Sure. So they go into a couple of categories. One is about um, space. So we're talking about their physical space, right? What they experience in both places, because sometimes kids are resisting for what we call things incidental to the other parent. The train comes through at 2 a.m. They don't have blackout curtains, right? They have to share a room. And so those things are really important. Um, And we're also talking about their emotional space. How do they experience their ability to just be themselves? Are they getting a lot of questions at one parent's house, you know, about how they're feeling or what they think about things? Are they feeling pressure about that? Um, And then we use a therapy concept about differentiation, their ability to really be an individual separate from their parents was sort of the perfect amount of connection. So I'm asking questions about that, which is really playing into family dynamics. I'm starting to kind of understand what role do they play? Are they the oldest and they're in charge of their younger siblings? Are they um, one of multiple, right? Twins, triplets. How are they trying to differentiate themselves from their siblings, you know, in those pieces? So there's a lot of that kind of stuff when we're talking about space, a couple of categories on that. I'm talking about time. And often this is the thing. So not how much time, but how do they experience the time with a parent? away from a parent. So how are they experiencing when they're with that parent? Are they missing the other parent when they're gone? What's their contact like? Time by themselves. So one of the big things that kids grieve when their parents separate is that time to themselves, because there's an intensity from the parents going from being around them every day to at best half the time. And so they move from one parent who hadn't seen them, you know, for X amount of days and is really excited and wants to spend time with them. And there's an intensity around that. But then when the kids move spaces, all they're doing is going back to the parent who hasn't seen them. It's the next parent who hasn't seen them. And it's this repeating intensity. And they really grieve the loss of time, like the casual time to themselves. And they grieve their time with friends because parents are less likely to let them go to friends because they haven't seen them. So I want to know about that. Both of those, both of those are so, you know, just those two things that you just said, you know, my listeners out there with children, think about those two things. Cause I've, I've never 
heard it from that perspective. So you just heard the voice of the child in this, it may, it, it may be a, an amorphous child, but they grieve the loss of that personal time, that alone time, and they grieve the loss of, of their friends because parents are less willing to you know, give them that time. And for a good reason, they want time with their children, but but there's the voice of the child brought into that mix. Because how many times, I mean, Kathleen, you're a mediator, I'm a mediator. How many times do we sit there working on a parenting plan and hear parents say, I want more time with my kids. I want, I want, I want. And you just just inserted, you know, Timmy's voice or Mary's voice or, you know, what does what does Mary want? Yeah. And parents will say, you know, I want more time. Um, they'll also use that phrase, best interest. It's in my kid's best interest to be with me. And we're missing that it very well may be in their best interest, especially tweens and teens to have more flexibility, time with their friends, downtime, right? To become the, the young adults we want them to become. And that is, you know, we didn't really talk about it earlier, but when, when I talk about voice of the child, I don't have to meet the kids. Like this is ingrained in sort of who I am. And I will come into sessions where it's not safe for me to meet the kids. I've got a parent who is not going to be able to take feedback about their specific kid. And I just know that I can't. There's no way I can bring that information and keep that kid safe. They're going to breach that contract. We can still bring in these categories as you're asking, what kinds of things am I asking about? There are still some generalizations that I can make that can still advocate for kids' experiences because there's a ton of research on it. And we can bring that in without having to meet the kids. Well, and you just gave a beautiful example of that by sharing, you know, a general voice of children from a perspective that I think just most of us don't think about when we are so, you know, everybody feels like they're losing so much already as they go through divorce. People are very focused on the losses, not the positives, although there are some, um, but for children, they are losing things as well. And even if it's just time with their friends or time by themselves, it's honestly something, and I've done this now for 32 years, I, it hadn't, hadn't ever occurred to me to think of it from that perspective. But I, I do wanna make sure that we highlight one very important factor. This is not for an untrained person to be doing. This is not for your average mediator or attorney or parent even to be going in and having this type of a conversation with their children. It takes skill. It takes training. You do that type of training. I do. I think it's really important for it to be done well. I mean, it can go sideways so easily and it can be, you know, the best of intentions can cause irreparable harm. Right. It can go sideways and be, uh, you know, have la cause lasting damage. So w what does what's the what does the training look like for something like this? I mean, this feels it feels like such a huge topic. As I said, I did, you know, two or three days of training on child. How do you even train people to to do what you're doing? Yeah. So, I mean, I do this training and it's one of my passions. So it usually starts with an introduction to the concept. So part of this conversation we're having now is an introduction to the concept. What are the international protocols that exist? Who else is doing this? What are the ways that it can be done safely? What are the, you know, 
types of questions that are being asked and what can we do with them? So it starts there. And then there's another piece about educating attorneys and parents on what to do with this, right? Okay. So we've got information. What do we do with the information? Training people who want to do this is is training on interviewing skills. How do you build rapport very quickly? You know, how do you check your own biases? Because we all enter with our own biases around 50-50 parenting time or not 50-50 parenting time or, you know, children needing consistency or, you know, big topics like overnights for infants or um, giving children choice when they get to be teenagers. So it's an education for those that are going to do this work on interviewing skills, checking your biases, child developments, and really listening. Listening is is probably one of the biggest parts. Knowing what questions to ask and then being able to listen and absorb the answers. Um, and I'm excited to say I want everyone who is listening, because I know I have a lot of my colleagues, a lot of people in the divorce space who listen to Divorce and Beyond, you are actually going to do the introductory portion of your training for Most and Guthrie in um, October, on the t- October 21st. And I'm really excited about that. Can you tell people what that particular um, session will be about? Sure. I am super excited to be training for Austin Guthrie on this topic that was near and dear to my heart. As we were discussing options, I was like, this one, I want this one to go out into the universe and, and become commonplace, really. So the introductory training will be giving the, the base concept of what this can look like, how attorneys and mediators could bring this in. Because as I mentioned earlier, there's a variety of ways to do that. You know, they don't have to get, you know, the big training to be able to do this and they could still want the voice of the child. So it'll be talking about the ways to bring that in, whether that is meeting the kids or, you know, what I call my crash course on the voice of the child is that I do that for parents and I do it for attorneys and I do it in mediation is giving that crash course on developmental stages and temperament and personality and those categories so it'll be talking through those pieces. It will be talking about the, the protocols that already exist. So I didn't just wake up one day and decide that this was the correct way to do it. It's been a lot of years of me taking a di- several different trainings. I mentioned some of them earlier. Australia has a child inclusive mediation process and there's training on that. Um, Joan Kelly, who's now retired out of California, put um, stuff about interviewing children was specifically meant for the parent coordination process. Um, and then there's something else called a child-centered continuum model that's out of um, Australia and Canada. And then there's just a bunch of stuff from child therapy and marriage and family therapy that I sort of bring in to educate people that they really should do this for every case. If nothing else happens, I want people to know that it's possible to bring the children in in a safe way. We'll be talking more about that safe harbor agreement and what the obligation is of mediators and attorneys for holding steady on that because it includes the provisions that the attorneys won't ask for my records and they won't right ask me to testify about that so you know it's really talking about how do we move beyond this as a concept to an application so it will be an introductory training but i hope that people get out of it I mean, it's introductory for me. I'm not sure that it's introductory for the attorneys. Every time I do this training, I have people come and say, 
I had never considered that. I was vehemently against, right? Anyone talking to the children. And now I, I could see that being a possibility. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, the first time you mentioned it to me, it was actually, so just so everyone out there knows when Woody and I sat down with Kathleen, we asked her, we were, we wanted her to come and do a training for Austin Guthrie because she's exactly the type of trainer that we want to bring to, to the world. She's just the, the highest level. And when we asked her what she wanted to train on, what was her passion, this is the topic. And when she told us, that's when my brain just said, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not sure we can talk about this. How can we talk about this? And, you know, she's obviously, I'm a convert. And uh, Kathleen just came and spoke with our current class of 40-hour trainees learning to be mediators, most of whom are family law attorneys. And even just watching their faces through the progression of that day of training from hell no to, oh, wait a minute, maybe this makes sense. I just want my, my professionals out there who are listening, you know, open your minds and, and give this a chance because as you've heard in this episode and you'll hear a great deal more in the training um, on October 21st, this is something that is upending and doing divorce better, which is, or doing separation better and better for the kids. And really that's why I think most of us are in this space, no matter what way and in what profession we're coming at it. And for our parents out there, have you ever had a parent say, yeah, no, I don't really care about how this all affects my kids. I don't really care that the divorce or our separation, you know, whatever, they'll get over it. No, everybody wants to do what's best for their kids. Shouldn't that include the voice, voice of the child? You had some wonderful handouts for listeners. I want to make sure they know how to get those and how to get in touch with you. Yes. So you can go to my website, KathleenZampano.com, and you'll, it'll be in the notes because Zampano can be a little bit um, scary to think about how to spell it. So it is there. I'm going to do two handouts. One, I touched on some of the categories about a child's experience. So I'll have that handout on there so that people can look at it and get familiarized with it. And then about sort of the levels and when it would be appropriate, you know, to talk with kids and um, just how to do this in a really child-centered way. So I'll have both of those handouts there that really are beneficial to parents and professionals. Yeah, they really are. I, I recommend everybody reach out and download them. And can they reach you, Kathleen, if they were interested in having you bring the voice of their children uh, into their divorce process? How do they reach you? So through my website, you can book time online. You can book that crash course. You can book child-inclusive mediation. You can meet me, see me on social media. It's at Kathleen Zampano on Instagram and Facebook. I'm, I'm available. My practice is my sole purpose for my practice is to make sure that kids get their voices heard and that this can be done better. So I would love to help families. I would love to help professionals figure out how to add this to their practice. I've got the trainings coming up and I just am so grateful to be here and speak about something that, as you can see, is my passion. As I said, I'm a convert and I'm so excited. I'm going to be there in the training on the 21st. I can't wait to see more of my colleagues there. And thank you, Kathleen, for joining us and for helping us to learn how to share the voice of the children. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank 
you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond. Thank you.